Hi everyone. Uh, Epiphany is celebrated on the 6th of January, and it marks the end of the 12 days of the Christmas season, but can also be celebrated on the Sunday beforehand instead, and that's what we're going to do this year. The term Epiphany means to show, or to make known, or to reveal. Uh, and it's a time when we remember the coming of the Magi, bringing gifts to visit Jesus. And their coming shows, or reveals, that Jesus is the King not only of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, as well. So let's pray, and let's look at our passage together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, uh, as we uh, look at it together. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. At Christmas, we heard of how the message of the birth of Jesus came to the shepherds. They were Jews. Now, when the angels spoke to them with Old Testament allusions, they got it. They knew what good news was. They knew what a savior was. Uh, they knew who David was. Uh, they knew when the angels said the town of David to go to Bethlehem. Uh, they were part of God's people. And all the pieces of the Old Testament jigsaw puzzles, well, they had it. And, and the coming of Christ put it together. But in our passage today, we are reading not of some Jewish shepherds who live near Bethlehem, but of these very unlikely people who live far, far away, but whom God brought to his Son. The passage is set, in verse 1, after Jesus was born. Now, we don't know how long after. It could have been anything up to two years. But the important thing, it was, in verse 1 again, in the days of Herod the king. Now, this is Herod the Great who ruled from 37 BC to 4 BC. He was a half-blooded Jew, and he ruled as a cruel puppet of the Romans. He was a nasty character who killed his own sons because he was afraid that they would want his throne. But he knew he was not the rightful king as far as God's promises were concerned. God had promised that the true king would come from the line of David. And Herod did not have a royal genealogy. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod the king, wise men, or literally magi, came to Jerusalem. Now the word magi was originally used for Zoroastrian priests of the Medes and the Persians who specialized in interpreting dreams, but by this time it was generally used for astrologers, sages, sorcerers, and magicians. Remember, God's people were strictly forbidden not to dabble in these things. No, they were strictly forbidden to dabble in these things. But here they are. Which may be one reason why Christian tradition later reframed these magi as kings. Verse 1 also says that they came from the east. Now when we say from the east, we usually mean they came from Sarawak. But here it probably means Arabia, Babylon, or Persia. We don't know how many people there were, but there were three gifts, and so many people think there would have been three people. But you never know, actually, because uh, lots of people can share one gift, and more than one person can bring the same gift, or one person can bring two gifts. The Magi, though, believed that a very special king of the Jews had been born. They knew this from the star. And different people have tried to guess what the star was. Some have noted that Jupiter, the star of kingship, and Saturn, the star of the Jews, were in conjunction three times in 7 BC, as they were recently. Uh, if, you missed, if, you, if you missed it, you can Google Star of Bethlehem 2020. It looks some lovely photos. Others point to different astrological events, which I won't bore you with. But the word star can also represent a celestial being, and some people think this is a miraculous star that somehow got put there especially for them, or even some angel guiding them. But it doesn't matter. Matthew isn't really interested in what the star actually was, 
but what it communicated to the Magi. It showed them that the King of the Jews had been born. And it must have been a very special King of the Jews because it caused them to get expensive gifts, leave their homes, and go search for him, which was extraordinary. Right? This is not normal behavior, even when there's no pandemic. Now, these Magi logically go, in verse 1, to Jerusalem, because they've worked out that if the King of the Jews is who they're looking for, well, that's where Jewish kings live, Jerusalem. And naturally, but naively, they go around asking where the child might be. They say in verse 2, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And of course, news of this reaches back to the palace. King? King of the Jews? Well, this would have been a threat to Herod's crown. And as is the case with all cruel dictators, when Herod is insecure, the rest of the people worry about what he's going to do. And so verse 3 tells us that not only was he troubled, but all Jerusalem with him. But Herod is smart. He doesn't just lock the Magi up because they're causing trouble. He realizes that there may be a threat that is very real, and he needs to get the bottom of it. If the Magi are right, and this king has his own heavenly star, this king must be the Messiah, or the Christ, God's, God's promised king. He'd be a threat to his own kingdom. He must be stopped. One cannot, one cannot tolerate a rival king. The Magi, they know there is a king born, but they don't know where. Herod has other resources at hand to find out. And so in verse 4, he assembles all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquires of them where the Christ is to be born. And they tell him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, Bethlehem was a little town. Some senses an insignificant little town like a kampong. Right? Under 10, just under 10 kilometers from the city of Jerusalem. But here's the place that Micah had prophesied, that the king, the shepherd of God's people, would come from. So Herod arranges a clandestine meeting. Verse 7, he calls the wise men secretly, ascertains from them exactly when the star appeared. That will help him work out how old the child is. And in turn, he shares his information with them. And he sends them to Bethlehem, in verse 8, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. So after listening to the king, they go on their way. And in verse 9, the star that they had seen when it rose goes before them until it comes to rest over the place where the child is. Now, how does a star rest over a place? Oh, if it's a, if it's a miraculous star or an angelic being, well, that's easy. The star appears to be literally above the house where Jesus is. And those who think it's a planetary conjunction suggest the word behind our translation has a meaning in ancient astrology, referring to the movement when a planet in the sky appears to stop moving and then change directions, right? which we now know happens because the Earth orbits the Sun more quickly than Mars or Jupiter or Saturn. And if they are right, then the Magi go to Bethlehem and are exactly where the child is when the star does that thing. Right? And they go, this must be the place. Whatever the case, Matthew wants us to see that the star guides them to the right place. And when they realize they're in the right place, they are very, very, very happy. In fact, notice how Matthew is underlining and highlighting and putting their joy in bold, as he says in verse 10, when they saw the star doing whatever it did, they rejoiced exceedingly 
with great joy. They are so elated because they know they have arrived. The end of their journey has come. Their quest is over. They've come to Jesus. And so they go into the house, and sure enough, they see the child, verse 11, with Mary, his mother, and they fall down and worship him. That is the only right response. When you come into the presence of Jesus, you fall down and worship. And then verse 11 continues, opening their treasures, they offer him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, the Old Testament predicts a time when the nations would come to Israel bringing gifts and worship to the one true God. Isaiah 60, our Old Testament reading, speaks about the time when Israel will be restored after the exile. It says, Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of God will come to you. The nations will come to your light. The wealth of the nations will be brought to God's people. Gold and incense from Sheba and Arabia, specifically mentioned in verse 6. Uh, and uh, in Jesus, we see God's light and glory are revealed, and the, and the wise men, the magi, are the first of those Gentiles to be, to be drawn to that light. In our psalm for today, Psalm 72, God's promised king receives tribute from the, from the kings of the nations. They come to him, they serve him, they bow down in homage, they bring him gifts and tributes, they, they bless him, they acknowledge him as king, and his kingdom is going to stretch from sea to sea, from shore to shore, it will last forever. And something like this happens in a small way during the time of Solomon, when the, when the glory of Israel and its empire is at its peak, and people like the Queen of Sheba come and bring tribute for Solomon, but the, but the language of Psalm 72 is far more expansive than, than anything in Solomon's day. And so the Jews were looking forward to the time when God would give them a king who would not just be the king of the Jews, but a king who would reign wherever the sun does his successive journeys run, whose kingdom will stretch from shore to shore all over the world until moon shall wax and wane no more. And so friends, what we see in the visit of this Magi is a partial, not a complete, but a partial fulfillment of these passages. It is the first fruits, a foreshadowing of the real fulfillment. It's the hint of things to come, the submission of all nations to God's king. It was a mini version of the day when people from all nations and tribes and peoples and languages would, would bring their treasures and lay them at the feet of Israel's Messiah. And friends, that day has dawned. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus died on the cross, the sign above him read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. That sign was public for the whole world to read. You don't need a star to read that anymore. And then, after his resurrection, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Like the Magi, they were forerunners of people like you and me. People who are not Israelites by birth, but have come to worship Israel's Messiah. As we wait for that final day, when men and women from every tribe and language and nation will stand before him, worshipping him as king and proclaiming his great salvation that got us there in the first place. Well, these magi bow down and worship Jesus. They give him their gifts. Their quest is over, and all they need to do now is stop by Jerusalem on their way back and let Herod know so he can go and worship Jesus as well. But something stops them. Verse 12 says they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, so they depart to their own country by another way. That's a good thing because we know that actually Herod had no intention of worshipping the baby Jesus. He'd been asking because he was trying to get rid of him. Because, you know, Herod knows he's not the rightful king from David's line. And he has no intention, though, of handing his kingdom over anyone. Well, 
As we look back on today's passage, it's pretty clear who we should be like and who we shouldn't be like, isn't it? Right? We're not to be like Herod. That's pretty obvious, especially if you know what's going to happen next. But I just wonder if you're someone who needs to hear that. You know that Jesus is the king who has promised from of old, the king who deserves the worship of the Gentiles, people from every tribe and language and nation. You have even consulted perhaps the religious leaders to find out about the king. Uh, you might even know things about him from the Bible. But you have no intention of handing your kingdom over, that kingdom of your life. Because you know very well that if Jesus is king of your life, then, then you are not. And you know that if Jesus is king of your life, things won't stay the same. He will want to change your behavior. He will want you to keep sex in marriage and nowhere else. He will want you to be honest and stop cheating or lying or taking bribes in the workplace. He will want you to cultivate love and forgiveness in response to the love and forgiveness God has given you, rather than clinging on to hatred and bitterness that you want to cling on to. He will want you to make him and his kingdom the priority in your life, rather than the pursuit of whatever it is that you're pursuing now. Of course you don't want to hand over your life to Jesus. Herod would do awful things to try and protect his kingdom from Jesus. He may not do what he's going to do, but you'll still look for ways of avoiding Jesus. Please don't be jealous of Jesus. You were never meant to be king in your life in the first place. He is the rightful one, not you. And actually, it's good for you to have him as the king in your life. Don't be like Herod. So who are we meant to be like? We're meant to be like the Magi, aren't we? Now, don't get me wrong. This is not saying that astrology and sorcery and black magic are okay. No, 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 no. no. They are strictly forbidden to God's people. Uh, and we are told not to dabble in them. Don't, don't even think about it. Nothing to do with it. But what God is saying, but what this is saying, is that, that God wants to bring people to Jesus from all over the world, no matter what their background, even from astrology and sorcery. And that He is sovereign, that He can use anything, even things as bad as that for his purpose. So if you think there is something in your background or the background of someone you care about which makes it impossible to come to Jesus, well, just remember this. God even brought the Magi steep in the dark arts, far, far away, both geographically and spiritually. Brought them to bow the knee to King Jesus. There is, there is no one beyond his reach. And so, friends, whoever we are, whether we are near or far, let us be like the Magi. When they saw the star in the heavens, the Magi went to Jerusalem. And when we see God's hand in creation, we too go to where we can find out more about Him. There in Jerusalem, they heard the Word of God, and, and we too need to hear the Word of God if we're really going to find Jesus. The star supernaturally led them to Jesus. And likewise, we would never find Jesus ourselves. The Spirit supernaturally brings us to Him as He guides our hearts to what is revealed in the Word. We may meet all kinds of people on the way, but oh, the joy when we come to Jesus. He is the end of our search, the climax of God's promises. Whatever it is that we've been looking for, actually the underlying search, the real quest, will in the end find its fulfillment in Him. And so we who come from the nations, from outside Israel, are to joyfully come to Israel's Messiah, the one who is born, the King of the Jews. 
We are to bow and worship before Jesus, not, not physically like the Magi, because he's now in heaven, but in spirit and in truth. We are to, to give our hearts to him, bowing before him in submission, not just as the king of the Jews, but as our king. And that means we give him not just gold and frankincense and myrrh, but our whole lives. We know that he deserves it. And we know that it's good for us to have him as our king. And so we joyfully and happily surrender ourselves to him. Let's be like those magi. But there's one sense in which we are not to be like the magi. Remember, after this, what do they do? They go back to their own country. Because their coming was only a foretaste of the coming in of the Gentiles into God's kingdom. For us, on the other hand, there is no going back. Once we come to Jesus as our king, we become part of his kingdom, no matter what our background. Ephesians 2.11 says that once we were, like the Magi, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But then it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This child that those Magi worshipped grew up and died for them and died for us so that we can be forgiven of our sins and be reconciled to God. He rose again as king, that real king that God had promised. And so when we come to him, when we give him our lives, we become part of his kingdom. We are, in the words of verse 19 of Ephesians 2, no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And what a joy and privilege that is. Let's pray together. As with gladness men of old did the guiding star behold, as with joy they hailed its light, leading onward beaming bright, so most gracious Lord may we evermore be led to thee. As with joyful steps they sped, Saviour, to thy lowly bed, there to bend the knee before thee whom heaven and earth adore, so may we with willing feet ever seek thy mercy seat. Amen.